So we, we were in this, ever since the hurricane, kind of the idea of honey has been part of our messages. And so the, to end the year, we thought we'd do, there's honey in his name. So we're going to do some names of Jesus uh, and what those names are. And remember, a name, today, it's just a name. Typically, we name a kid, and you like it, and somebody, a movie star had it, or whatever. It sounded cool. Or, but the Hebrews, when they named a child, it was a predictive of their life. It was a promise. It was describing who they would become and what their mission would be. So uh, a name is, means a lot. As we looked at the different names of Jesus uh, in the Bible, the first one we're going to look at uh, that we find is it, we're going to start in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. Now, this was written hundreds, maybe close to a thousand years before Christ was born. What I love about the Bible, people can mock it, they can make fun of it, they can say blah, 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 but you, there, there's no other book out there that tells the future and we can look and see where it was fulfilled. I mean, you can't make this up. It's just uh, the odds would be impossible. And so Isaiah gives a prophecy to this miracle birth that's going to happen. Now, you got to put it in, the, in their context. When they heard it in Isaiah's day, they were oppressed by evil nations, Israel was. And he was giving this prophecy to a king that there was going to be a birth that was going to bring deliverance. They didn't take it someday Christmas would start with the birth of Jesus. They, they didn't, this wasn't a Christmas verse for them. This was life, hope. Remember, to the Jewish culture, ever since the Garden of Eden, when God gave a promise to the woman that her seed was going to crush the evil one, there's this hope in the Jewish culture of a child born, this might be the Messiah. This could be the deliverer. So they were somewhat accustomed to hoping for the birth of someone that was going to bring great deliverance. So I want you to get the flavor of this background to this name before we go to the New Testament and apply it to Jesus. So Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, one of the most familiar verses about the birth of Jesus and the Christmas story. And I just want to read verse 14 to you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Say it with me, Emmanuel. There's a good name to be chosen if you haven't had a child yet and you're wanting to have babies and thinking names. I don't know that I've ever met a young man named Emmanuel, but maybe you have. Anybody know, have a relative or anybody named Emmanuel? We've got some in here. Oh, cool. And so it's a great name. But, you know, in this prophecy, he's, he's talking about a miracle because he describes it as a virgin giving birth to a male child. Now, you've got to understand, we read back into it from the, the perspective of, of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. But they didn't have Christmas yet. So some people would argue that this word would, could be translated a young maiden. And, and, and it could but in the context, there's no miracle to a woman having a baby. This is a miracle that they're announcing that God is coming to help this Emmanuel, God 
with us is what it means. So the, 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 when the Old Testament was translated into the Greek language, it was originally written in Hebrew, 200 years before Christ was born, the Old Testament was translated into Greek because the empire, the Roman Empire had that common language. And in North Africa, there was translators, and, and they developed a, a translation called the Septuagint. It's a translation. It's the same Bible, just like we translated into English. But when they were choosing words to translate this word for uh, its alma, is the Hebrew word, to translate that word, they had several options in the Greek language. Now, again, before Jesus, before Mary, before Christmas, 200 years, they chose to translate it by the word that means young virgin. And so they, it gives just a, a translation weight to the meaning, though we know the context, that there's a miracle. God's announcing a sign of a miracle baby. Now, in their culture, what they're looking for is someone to come help them. And when they see the phrase, God with us, Emmanuel, they translate that to mean God's fixing to come and help. He's going to roll up his sleeves, and he's going to do some business with our enemies. Let me show you that a chapter later just to give you the flavor of Emmanuel. In chapter 8 of the book of Isaiah, if you'll look with me, I love this. This is a, a, a verse. At, at the end of verse 8, it uses, oh, Emmanuel. You can read that spreading out his wings. It's again, it's, it's showing God showing his power. But I love 9 and 10 of Isaiah. Listen to this. Raise the war cry, you nations, but you're going to be shattered. Now, this, this isn't, this isn't mealy, this isn't wimpy Jesus. This isn't, you know, God that's Santa Claus. You know, it, it, this is, you, you want to you wanna, you wanna come at me? You, you want to you wanna call out a battle? I'm going sh- to break you into pieces. He says in, in verse, uh, uh, verse 9, listen, you distant lands, prepare for battle, but you're going to be shattered. Second time he says it. Prepare for battle, says it again, and say it with me. Be shattered. There, this is God stepping up, telling him what now. I love verse 10. Now think about this, because you've probably often heard people say, in a good way, God has a wonderful plan for your life. If you don't believe that, you don't believe in the goodness of God. You don't believe that God has better things for you than what you're doing. I often will challenge people, young men, young women, you're better than this. There's more in you than this. You're like the prodigal settling to eat pig's food when you could be at the king's table having steak and lobster. So you can eat pig's food, but you're better than that. You're better than selling out to things that are destructive. And so the, 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 just as God wants to have a plan to bless our lives, I have total, total, I don't want to use the word confidence, but certainty that the enemy has a plan for each life here from birth. Uh, some of you, and often the ones that God has purposes for that are way beyond what you could even know, they seem to go through more almost near-death experiences uh, and, and you may wonder, why is that? Because often it's because the enemy has a better understanding of what your future is than you do. And for those of you that may have played 
chess, which I haven't played in years, but I know enough about it to uh, be dangerous. But I know in chess that when you, uh, Pastor Charles and I used to play uh, chess, uh, he's up there, he was wounded at the food truck last night. The door fell on his head and cracked it. So if you see him wearing a Santa's cap, it's just because the door came down, smacked him on the head. And uh, anyway, we used to play chess with each other, and, and he usually would beat me. But I figured out one of the reasons why was is he wore me out. Because he would put his hand on a piece, and your mind goes to, okay, where is he going? Why is he going there? What's it going to? What's this right? And you think through that, and then he moves and touches another piece. This went on for quite a while. I'm not the smartest person, and there's probably a rule out there that I just was unaware of. So finally, I implemented the rule, if you touch it, you move it. So he would go, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. He was like, it was hot, hot iron. And, and, but it would just, I'd realize in one game, I'd play 19 games because I went through so many scenarios that he never did, and he just exhausted me. And then I found out the secret weapon how to really beat him is that while he's concentrating on his move, you do this. You smack your lips. He doesn't register that he hears it, but it totally disorients him. And I was on a winning spree till he figured out, you stop smacking your lips. Okay, I'll stop touching the pieces. You stop smacking your lips. Anyway, all that said, I believe that when God puts his hand on somebody, at, in the mama's womb often, when you're born, when God puts his hand on you, the enemy goes, hmm, God's going somewhere with that piece, and I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it. I don't like where that's going. They're going to end up helping other people. They're going to end up sharing the good news of Jesus. They're going to end up praying for people. I'm, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to attack, I'm going to assault them. I want to discourage them. So some of you, you could look back not blaming everything on the devil. But for some of you, you, your life has been attacked and traumatized because God has plans that the enemy wants to stop. Now, this verse gives me told, not only will God shatter, but look what he says here in this verse, verse 10. He says, and again, this is to the bully. These are to the enemies. Devise your strategy, but it's going to be thwarted, thwarted. In other words, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overturn it. You can make your plans. You can say how you're going to take them out, hurt them, discourage them, destroy them. But I'm going to stop it. You know why? Look what he says. Propose your plan, but it's not going to stand. Why? Because I am Emmanuel. Now, the, the, some versions just say, because God is with us. But it's the Hebrew word for El God and and Emmanuel, which with, with, God with us. In other words, God says, hey, when I say I'm Emmanuel, that means I'm stepping down into your world to defeat your enemies. I love that. It reminds me when I was a little boy, I was about, now let me just warn you, some people laughed in the first service, and it's not a funny story. So I had to talk to him about inappropriate laughter. And, and so I encourage, so some of you probably will laugh anyway because you have inappropriate laughter. It's like, I, I can't help it, but if you start throwing up, I'm going to laugh at you. I can't, I'm uncontrollable. Now, when I throw up, I hate it. I'd rather be beat with a stick than throw up. And I've had a recent episodes so I can speak from, you know. But, but if you start puking, I'm laughing. 
I don't know why. It's, a, it's, a, it's an involuntary, it's brokenness in me somewhere, but I'll laugh at you. So anyway, don't laugh at this story. It's not funny. It's sad. It's, it's a painful part of my childhood. So I'm five years old, maybe four, and, and I'm playing in the neighborhood. Back then, you could let your kids play. What a sad world today. If you just let your kid wander around at four or five, you're a delinquent parent nowadays because there's sickos out there. I'm not saying there weren't sickos back then, but there weren't as many sickos. There's always been sickos, but there's a lot more now, a lot of sickos. Anyway, I'm up there, and, and I'm growing up in Winter Park, first-generation Floridian. Parents were wise to flee the wicked north and came to the sunshine of Florida and let me get born here. So I was happy. I'm born in sunshine. So I'm in Winter Park, Florida, and it's got slopes. There's little hills there, and driveways have a, can have a good slope to them. There's this big, giant yard guy working down in the uh, uh, cleaning the yard, and I, for whatever reason, he had brought up all these rotten grapefruits and put them up in the trash, and my buddy and I thought it'd be fun to roll them down the driveway. So we are just, woo, 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 woo. I, we, weren't, we weren't, at five, you're not diabolical. You're not like, well, let's really get this guy. Let's make him work harder. You know, you're stupid. You're five. You're picking your nose. You're, you know, it's just, you're stupid. So all of a sudden, this guy goes around and comes up behind us when my buddy slips loose and abandons me. And I'm stuck there. This guy grabs me by the back of the neck and took a rotten grapefruit and mashed it into my face and rubbed it in my eye. Now, see, inappropriate laughter right over here. I felt it. That's not compassion. Those are people that don't have the gift of compassion. Those that have the gift are going, oh, wow, I can feel the trauma. That's traumatic. I'm five years old. You know what a grapefruit shoved in your face does at five? Burned your eyes? Traumatized me. The only worst trauma I had at that age was in kindergarten when we went to the zoo, and we're looking at the llamas, and I'm like, from here to, to, to my friend here, from this llama, and I go, Aren't they cute? And the, the llama went and spit, hit me right in the eyes. I was so violated. I left the zoo. They had to put me in a car, and I just sobbing. I met, can you imagine a five-year-old having a llama 20 feet hit me right in the eyes? I've hated them ever since. I could be a serial llama killer. I don't mind camels, but I hate llamas. I eat llamas just to get rid of them. Anyway, so I run home, traumatized, and I tell my dad. My dad said, son, you're coming with me. I didn't know what to expect, but he walked with me. I knew one thing. My dad's with me, and I'm not afraid. He walks up. He gets within eyesight of the, he said, is that the guy that did it? I said, it sure is, dad. He said, you go on home. He just sent me home. I don't know to this day what transpired, but I'm going to tell you right now, that man never messed with me again. When I walked on this side of the street, he was on the other side of the street. He avoided me like I had some kind of a plague. I don't know what went down. I don't care what went down. All I knew was dad was with me. And when you have that kind of father that steps up to the plate to defend, protect, that's Emmanuel. That's, that, that's what the word feels. God wants you to feel Emmanuel as in 
I'm coming with you. And I'm going to face the bullies with you. So now with that in mind, let's go back to the warm, fuzzy Christmas story where there's no sense of violence, but it is violent. Because when you understand what God's up to, he's doing a violent act. He's invading planet Earth. He's coming to planet Earth. Matthew chapter 1. This is now the story of the birth of Jesus, the first Christmas. Christmas is a miracle. It took a miracle. Christmas is the Genesis 1-1 of the New Testament. In other words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a miracle that if you can believe it, no other miracle is hard for you to believe. If you believe God made everything, what's hard after that? Jonah in the belly of a whale? That's not hard. Crossing the Red Sea? That's not hard. You know, calling down, Elijah calling down fire on the prophets of Baal? That's not hard. Creating the world? That's hard. That's a big miracle. You get past the big miracle, you're, all the other ones will fall into place. In the New Testament, big miracle, birth of Jesus. It's, and we'll explain that in a second. But at verse 22 of Matthew, speaking of, you know, the angels appearing and Joseph has the dream and, and, and he's telling her that he's going to have a child. At verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. We know what that means because we just studied the context. Instead of just quoting the verse, hopefully it'll mean more. Verse 23, the virgin will be with the child and give birth to a son, and they will call him, because it's what he is, who he is, they will call him, say it with me, Emmanuel. And Matthew, just to help us out, says which means God with us. Now, yes, there's a warm fuzzy to that. Yes, there's a, he's near and tender and, and, and soft and and there is that side, but there's also the lion side of what that means. What, what, what Jesus came to earth is to bring God nearer than he'd ever been. It's not new in the Bible for God to be with somebody. All through the Old Testament, God was with. Remember we talked about Moses here a couple weeks ago, and, and God said, you know, I'm going to send you to the promised land, but I'm not going. I'm going to send a big angel. And I'll do miracles, but I'm not going. And, and Moses says, if you don't go, I'm not going. And God says, all right, my presence will go with you. All through the Bible, Joseph, the hand of the Lord, was on in the favor of God. God was with him. God was with Nehemiah. God, all through the Bible, God's present, but it's, in a, it's in a, at a different level than what we're going to see with Jesus. When God comes with Jesus... Emmanuel, there's a whole nother level or nearness to his coming. And the only way I can explain it is to let the Bible speak for the Bible. So if you'll go a couple chapters over to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 1, one of the most brilliant verses in the Bible is John 1, 14. I love it. I, I, I will... I, you know, it, it makes Christmas a deep theological understanding. The word is incarnation. Incarne, carne is the Latin for flesh. Incarne. In, it's, it's, it's the theological concept that God leaves heaven and becomes human. 
and yet stays God. It's a mystery, it's a miracle, and it's full of majestic wonder. I never will fully understand it. But this verse unpacks it as best. John has no mention of the angels. John doesn't mention the Christmas story. John doesn't mention Mary. John's caught up with Jesus. He's caught up with before Christ was born, he was with God as the Word. John, in the beginning of his chapter, takes us all the way back to the beginning of creation. And before it, there was Jesus, the Word. Jesus didn't begin on Christmas. The man, Christ Jesus, began at Christmas. But before Christmas was the Son of God was still with the Father from eternity. Now, I can't, I can't grasp that. There's one God, and he's revealed in three persons. Jesus was on the scene at creation. It's what John says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. Jesus. Now, somehow this plan of God transpired where Jesus volunteers to take a human body on himself. Not an appearance, not a disguise, not a shapeshifter. All through the Old Testament, there were shapeshifters. Now, I don't know where you're at with, you know, you got to have a little bit of Irish in you or, or Scottish to understand shapeshifters, but angels would take on different forms. And that was no big deal. They would just look this, they would just look as human as the next. In fact, the Bible warns you be careful taking care of strangers because some of you have entertained angels and you've been unaware of it. I know I've picked up, and I'm not advocating picking up hitchhikers again, it's a different day. But I used to pick them up and I had some pretty cool encounters with people. And I'm, I have no doubt that I've encountered angels. Often you find angels are in a distressed look of life. Could look like a homeless person. It, it, you, can't, you can't look at them and go, wow, that's an angel. No, the whole point is, is that they're undercover. But what Jesus does isn't undercover. Look in John 1 verse 14 where it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. These few words at the beginning here, the word, that's, that's God's son. That's Christ before his incarnation. The preexistent, preincarnate Christ. Jesus before Christmas. Become something he's never been. He takes a human body. Now, he uses the word for flesh here. That's, it's the Greek word, S-A-R-X, sarx. You say, okay, Jamie, that's, what's the big deal? Well, there were several choices of words that, that could have been used. John could have to describe this miracle of Christmas. He could have used the word anthropos, which is human, or a, a male or female. Anthropos is a soft, kind of a kinder, gentler view of human. The word sarks is like you're coughing something up like you got a bug cut in your throat. And something nasty's got to come out. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's the nasty part of humans. It's, it's just like God here doesn't just come here and become like a superhero. We used to sing 
a number of years ago, and I tried not to complain. I don't know that I did complain about it. I wish I had. But I, children loved it, and they had fun singing it in kids' church. And, and it's, uh, the, the theme of it was, Jesus, you're my superhero. You know, and it, it just had a nice jingle to it, and it would show Jesus kind of flying like Superman. And it's like, that's really horrible theology. Because Jesus didn't come. That's what offended people. He didn't come like a superhero. He came human, so human that they couldn't see God in him. All they could see was he's limited like we are. He's vulnerable like we are. He had to be fed. God needs his diaper changed? Come on. There's stories, there's myths, legends of gods that come among humans. But they always come in disguise. They don't stay long, and they're never humbled. They're, they're, they're show out of strength and power. Yet our God says in the miracle of Christmas, the incarnation is Emmanuel. It's God became one of us. That's what this verse means. The Word was made human, flesh, vulnerable, dependent, mortal. God can't die. The old adage I heard an African-American preacher preach years ago. He said, I got a problem with these people that say God is dead. He said, I'd like, I'd like to ask them a few questions. First of all, I'd like to know who identified the body. If God's dead. He, he said, I'd like to know who killed him. Whoever killed him is God. Because if you can kill God, you're God over God. And then he said, I don't know why I wasn't notified, because I'm next to kin. I'm one of his children. If God's dead. The reality is, God's the author of life. It's impossible to kill him. But if he takes a body like ours... That's mortal. The miracle of the virgin birth is that he took human flesh on and he became a human just like us, yet still equal with God. It's incomprehensible, and I'm glad. I used to use the analogy that I never could figure out how to, how to program a VCR. You can't use that anymore because nobody has a VCR. So I, all my stories are pretty outdated. But you maybe do it relate to a computer and trying to figure out, you know, can't figure that out. I couldn't anymore explain a computer. You ever watch those shows where they show uh, machines that weave and they have this like card that they put like 100 years ago and it would tell which yarn to go through and they'd say that's the beginning of the computer. I'd be like, how's that like a computer? I can't, you couldn't explain a computer to me. You could try. You couldn't explain the internet. You can't, I, it just, it, I can't, I, I don't know that anybody understands it. It just happens. I don't know how it happens, but, but I don't have to understand something to know that it's real. And I don't have to explain the miracle of Christmas to make it real. The whole point of Christmas is it is a miracle. If you can explain it, it's not a miracle. Now, I can understand it. That's different. I can know that we have a God that said, my people need me. They need a deliverer. They need to be rescued. They need to have someone put their arm around them, walk them up to the face of the bully, and say, I'm going to shatter you. 
don't touch my child again. I'll shatter you. You mess with my daughter, I'll shatter you. You come against my church, I'll shatter you. That's Emmanuel. That's who I want for Christmas. I don't want Santa Claus. Say, better be not, don't be naughty, don't be nice. I want big Jesus to come. I want Emmanuel Jesus. I want Jesus equal with God. Yet he walked in humility. He didn't do lightning bolts out of his eyes. He didn't zap people, though he could have. He just walked in the glory that John says we witnessed of being a servant. The glory of being kind and loving. The most, most powerful things that Jesus did that caused people to hate him were all the deeds of kindness and love and forgiveness and truth and he just shined the light and the darkness hated it. And we're going to talk about that some next week. The word was made flesh. Why? Why? Because God wasn't just, God wasn't lonely. It's that we were needy. We needed a savior. We needed a deliverer. We needed our God. Don't just shout from heaven, I love you. But come to us, Emmanuel. Come and walk with us so that he looked at us through human eyes. He listened to us through human ears. He touched us with human hands. He spoke to us with a human tongue. Jesus modeled who our God is so that we could know him. But even more than that, it wasn't just to reveal the, the wonders of God. It was to deliver us from the evils of our sinfulness and our lack of salvation and he came to bring us to the father here's the deal in some sense god is always near theologically god is present and 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 but there's these times of god's nearness that are dramatic and yet god comes to earth in the most undramatic way imaginable as a baby yet the drama is that he's come so near that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He comes so near that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. He comes so near that he brings us to a place of not just knowing God is real, not just knowing God is around. Now listen to me. A lot of times, I don't feel God. I rarely wake up in the morning and go, wow, God's near me. I wake up and say, oh, God, you better be near me to get me out of this bed. I'm not sure I can get up. I need a resurrection. I don't feel God. I, and you know what harder things get? Like in the middle of the storm, I didn't feel God. I wasn't, I, the next day, I, I didn't feel God near me in the refuge, in the wreckage, in the rubble, helping friends clear out their, their flooded home and walking in the mud of the salt water and, the, and, the, and seeing every possession that people that you care about, they've lost everything. I didn't feel God anywhere near that. I'm not sure God was there in my head, in my emotions. But the truth is, often when God seems the furthest away is when he's the closest to you. But there's a calling that he's inviting you to grow in your faith. Now, there are times that God feels distant because you're not in a good way. You're, you're walking in disobedience. Sometimes you've got to stop and say, God, have I offended you? 
And, and then he just, he welcomes to bring forgiveness. If you're honest with him, say, God, please forgive me. But oftentimes when he feels distance, it's not because he's offended at something we've done. It's the fact that he's wanting us to grow beyond just emotions. I love emotions. I love to feel God's nearness. But I also know, and I've walked with him long enough, that I can know God's nearness without always feeling God's nearness. That's when you grow up. When you stop depending on all your circumstances tell you that God loves you. All your feelings tell you that God loves you. All your friends tell you that God loves you. So maybe God loves me. No, faith grows and says, Emmanuel has come in Christ. He has come so that he could bring. Now listen to me. Don't miss this. That's the whole point of what I want to get to. Because Emmanuel, the point of Christmas isn't that it stops with the fact that God became a human. So he could be near us and so that he could reveal himself to us and so that he could die on a cross that through that death, listen to me, God no longer is near me. Now, through the Holy Spirit and salvation, God is, say it with me, in me. That's a whole nother ball game. He was near me in Christ. Now he's in me by his spirit. There's a, there's a closeness that being, listen, if Jesus was bodily back in the room, I was sitting in, in a New Testament class one time and had this old professor, and, and he was talking about what it had been good to have been with the disciples and Peter, and you, you got to see God do this. And, and I'm like, yeah, that had been awesome. You got to see Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. I'm like, yeah, that would have been awesome. I mean, he had me sucked in hook, line, and sinker with how wonderful walking with Jesus would have been. Then he said this. He said, we have something better than the disciples had in the bodily presence of Jesus. And I'm like, what? We have something better? He said, we have now the presence of God through his spirit to live in each of us. Because if Jesus was in the room in his physical body, here's a question. Who's he going to lunch with? I'm offering him Rib City. I don't know about you, but I'm going for the ribs. Those baby backs are going to get him. Now, maybe you got a higher offer. Maybe you got steak and lobster that you're going to. Maybe you're going to do something that's just a. Who's going to talk Jesus into going home with him? You got a better car? You're a better driver? I mean, what? You got good music to play? What are you going to do to get Jesus to go home with you? Tell him a sad story? Tell him you're lonely. Maybe it'll work. That's God being near in the body of Jesus. He's limited to go to one place at one time. But now his Holy Spirit is here. He goes home with all of us. You don't have to go to Israel to get near Jesus. He don't, he, believe it or not, he's as much in Cape Coral as he is in Israel. Now, there's a lot of warm, historic, powerful imagery there. But Jesus lives here. As much as he lives in anywhere in the planet, you don't have to go anywhere to get near him. He's here. But you do need to welcome him and say, Lord, thank you that you're my Emmanuel in me. Not just near me, not around me, not close by. If I need some help, I'll make a call. He's in you if you're a Christian. He walks with you. He cries with you. He dwells. That's what the rest of this verse says. The word was made flesh and dwells. The word dwells means he pitched his tent 
camped out to be that close. It's not temporary. Because when Jesus took a body, he took it forever. It wasn't a temporary body. Well, till I get out of here, woo, get out of that. He'll have that body forever and ever and ever, just like I'll have this body transformed at the resurrection forever. And he's forever the man, Christ Jesus. When he became that decision, was irrevocable. The word was made flesh, not for a little season, but for eternity. God, man, joined together, one, human, yet divine. That's a mystery. I can't explain it, but I know he was tempted in every way like we were. He knows every pain because he's walked through it. He knows what it's like to be alone and lonely. He knows what it is to have to cry out for help and prayer. He knows what it is to have to trust the Father, though he can't see anything. He's in the garden sweating drops of blood. He knows what it is to not feel the Father close to him, yet the Father. When he cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had not left, but everything felt like it. He knows what that's like. That's why when he says in his word, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm Emmanuel. I'm the God who's with you. Good times, he's with you. Bad times, he's with you. Happy times, he's singing with you. Sad times, he's crying with you. Lonely times, he's wiping your tears and putting his arms around you. Scared times when the bully's after you, Emmanuel's arms around you, and he's in you. And the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the bully in the world. He's too big for me. He's too tough for me. But he ain't too tough for Emmanuel. When he shows up on the scene and he's got his arms around, he says, go on home. I've got this, son, daughter. Go on. Let me fight your fights. Stop trying to fight your fights. I'll fight your fights because ain't nobody going to beat me. And if I'm for you, nobody can be against you. doesn't matter who's against you. Threats, fears, anxieties, attacks. He's with you. So what's Christmas mean? One word. Emmanuel. God is with us in a powerful way to deliver us from our enemies. Strike down his plans and devices. Shatter. I love that word. Shatter. The enemy wants you to feel like he's going to shatter you. The reality is, when you walk with Emmanuel, he shatters the works of darkness. Amen? He's a good, good God. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus and the honey in the name Emmanuel. There's a lot of honey to get that for you. Sweetness of his presence. Sweetness. And what a difference if you could make the transition from knowing that God is near me to God is in me. When you make that transition, it's relationship. It's not just religious, hopeful. It's that God, he's, he's close by. He's with you. He's near you. He's in you. Let's pray. There is no meaning to Christmas 
without the promise of Emmanuel. It's the miracle of Christ becoming human, the incarnation. And he did that to show us the Father, but also to bring us to the Father so that the Father could live in us through his presence, his spirit. If you've not cried out to God and you've not experienced the miracle of Christmas where God comes to live in you through Jesus, it's a simple prayer that's life-changing. You say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. You just ask him. He's already come. He's already lived. He's already died. He's already been raised from the dead. Now he offers peace with God, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, but you've got to call on him. You just whisper. You just say, Jesus, come live in me. Forgive my sins and come bring your gift of eternal life. Just ask him. That's what it means to be born from above. It means you invite Christ to give you new life. It's a, it's a miracle. It's a mystery. It's a lot like Mary. She didn't really understand it, but she believed it. And Christ was born in her through the miracle of God. Christ is born in us through the miracle of the new birth. You can't get any closer than that. So when you feel like God is a long ways away, maybe you feel like that right now, you got to go back to what you know, not what you feel. you got to go back to what you believe, not what you sense. Don't be governed and controlled by feelings of distance when the truth is He's near, He's close, He loves you. He's in you. Reach out to him in faith. Thank him for being Emmanuel in your life. Father, as we come to a time of commitment, Lord, if there's someone here that just hasn't made public their faith in you, Jesus, give them the boldness to do that, to experience the miracle of Christmas right now, this day. Lord, to those online that are listening that need to come to you, Help them, Father. Let them know you've heard their cries. In Jesus' name.